All right, welcome everybody. Big shout out to our Central Henderson family, to Central Summerlin, Sunrise Mountain, Southern Highlands, Kingman. Welcome, good to have you guys with us. Those who are joining us online, thanks for being here. And those who are in our, watching in our partnership with God Behind Bars in different prison facilities around the country, we're glad that you're here with us today. Hey, we're kicking off a brand new teaching series this weekend called House Rules. Every house needs some rules. <laughs> Every house needs some framework that can move it from a place of stress to a place of a little more peace. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks together as we dig into the Bible and see what God has to say about how we all manage our homes. And we're all, you know, we're all come from homes. We're all part of homes at some level. Uh, I, I think I was thinking about my mom this week. My mom, uh, this summer will be 10 years since she passed away. Uh, she was in her 80s when she passed away, and uh, I miss her like crazy. But I was thinking about my mom as I was working on this message. My mom always said three primary things. These were like her kind of house rules, okay? <laughs> the first was love God. Right? All the time, her kids, her grandkids, you need to love God, you need to love God, you need to love God. She was like a broken record. The second was go to college. Go to college, go to college, go to college, because she never gra she graduated high school uh, and never went to college. My dad, he, uh, he dropped out of high school to serve in World War II, lied about his age, and uh, got in and served in the military. So, you know, neither one of them had been to college, so their hope, like that generation, was that all their kids and grandkids, you know, would go to college. So, man, as a kid, like, we learned words like, you know, yes and no, and then like the third word you learned after like mama and papa was college. College. Um, and then the third thing my mother would say all the time, be careful. Be careful. Every time you left the house, every time you did anything, be careful. Which is funny because what do I say almost every single day to my kids, every time they leave the house, be careful, be careful. You guys be careful. And it's ridiculous. I hated it when my mom said it, right? And now I'm this, I do the exact same thing. Well, we all come from different homes. We've all had different sort of uh, statements thrown around. I think some of them are classic. So we're going to look at some classic statements. I'm going to see if you can help me fill in the blank here. Let's bring this up on the screen. Uh, here's a classic parent statement, right? Money doesn't grow on what? Doesn't grow on trees. And this gets thrown around a lot of ways. You, know, you, you want to order pizza? Oh, yeah, what do you think? Money just grows on trees? We can't order pizza, right? You want an allowance? How about I allow you to live here? Right? Money doesn't grow on trees. We can go on and on with that one, right? All right. Let's, let's, bring, us, uh, let's bring up the next one. Stop crying or I will give you something <laughs> to cry about cry. I'm not sure how that ended up exactly like that, but something to cry about. Yes. And uh, nothing like the threat of physical destruction in a kid's life who's already upset in the moment to just diffuse things and calm things down. I mean, when you think about it, it's the worst thing in the world we can say in that moment because you're just putting like kerosene on the fire, right? You're just making it worse. But in the moment, it feels so right. Here's one more. Let's bring this up. Because I what? Because I said so. Bottom line is, you're little and I'm big. And it's because I said so, right? Because I said so, just do it. And listen, we hated that when our parents said that, right? It drove us crazy. But the truth is, after your kid asks you why a thousand different times, you will eventually start turning around going, because I said so, that's why. Just like your parents. 
We all come from different home environments, different backgrounds, different situations. Some of you are in a place where your families are um, uh, still to come and uh, you're part of a family, but you don't have your own family yet. Some of you are in the middle of raising kids right now and that's, that's why you're looking back at me with bags under your eyes and everything else and you're, you're navigating that. Some of you are in the grandparent phase, right? You see it come full circle and you see your, their kids have kids and you know it all comes back around and uh, you get to kind of uh, uh, be a part of the family in that way. We're all in different places and we're all interacting with different kind of family members. I mean, in a given week, we may interact with uncles or cousins or, uh, you know, uh, step parents, uh, in-laws and outlaws, all part of the family. And we're trying to manage all of this stuff together. They say home is where the heart is. <laughs> it's also where the hurt is, right? It's also where the hurt is. So how do we move our homes from being a little less stressful to a little more peaceful? How do we get a little more of um, God and his goodness moving and working in our homes? That's what we're gonna be talking about. And today I wanna share with you a simple idea, and that is this, that you can't have a God-first life with a second-hand faith. You can't have a God-first life with a second-hand faith. And I'll explain what I mean. You've got, to, you've got to make that faith your own in your own life. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. When I was sick, I, I sat down with a journal this week, kind of getting ready for this message. And I wasn't sure exactly how to approach it. And so ultimately, I just sat there for a long time with a pencil and an old school piece of paper. And I wrote down all the things that I felt like we had done over 22 years of marriage, 18 years of you know, parenting, having kids. Um, that kind of ensured that God was first in our family. And I gotta tell you, like I've made a list of a whole lot of different things that we did, but when I really started looking at like what works, what doesn't work, what's, you know, what, what was really kind of practically the outflowing that, that, uh, that had the end result we really desired, it's a challenging thing when you start looking back over your life and really asking those kinds of questions. And so I came up with three things that are surprisingly simple. And I'm gonna share with you today the three things that I feel, the top three things I feel like Lori and I did in our family that helped us put God first in our family. And I, I don't have all the answers when it comes to family. I mean, I'm, I'm a fellow struggler, especially when it comes to parenting. Oh my goodness, you know, I'll never forget standing in the grocery store aisle, you know, before we had kids and watching this two-year-old kid had a meltdown and go limp and he's crying on the ground, flailing around. And I remember sitting there looking at this parent like, get a grip, what's wrong with you, man? You know, when I'm a parent, my kid's never gonna collapse on the grocery store floor and go limp, flop around like a fish ain't gonna happen because I'm gonna be in charge I'm gonna be in control <laughs> you keep telling yourself that right because I'll never forget the day I was in the grocery store aisle line and my kid was about two years old and he he went limp noodle right down on the ground started flailing around and I remember this person looked down the aisle at me I'm like turn around you have no idea how hard this is 
I'll never forget, I had lunch with a guy once, and uh, he taught seminars on parenting. And he had, man, he was going to write a book. He was unpacking this book for me and his top 10 principles about parenting and all these core ideas. And it was kind of amazing. I'm like an hour into this lunch. I'm like, this guy's got so much insight. I'm thinking, i got to have him speak at Central. I mean, he's, he's dialed in. He's got the answers. He's so confident. So I finally said, wow, this is great stuff. How, how many kids do you have? And he, he stopped looking. He goes, oh, we don't have any kids. Like that was a small little footnote. And I remember just sitting there thinking like the whole, it's like the matrix, you know, you take the red pill or the blue pill, you know, it's sort of like, what? You know, like you don't even, then I'm like, of course you don't have kids. That's why you have all the answers, right? It's when you have kids that you realize, oh man, we're really out of our depth here. You know, we're just, we're just fellow strugglers trying to manage. And so I'm definitely coming to you today as a fellow struggler who does not have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. But I do think there's some things as I look back over our life so far that we've done that have helped us position God first in our family. And that's the first house rule today, God first. Why do I think that should be the first house rule? Well, because first of all, God from the very beginning, right, says has no other gods before me. He wants to be first in our heart and life. But I also think and believe wholeheartedly that if God is first in our heart and in our home, that's gonna position our home to be a place of security, a place that's a refuge, a place where forgiveness flows freely, uh, a place where um, people's gifts are encouraged and where people are cheerleaded. I mean, if God is really first in the home, I think it makes the home way more of a refuge. And so, what does it mean to put God first? In fact, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, this is what he said to the Israelites. The way we do this here at Central, we'll bring this up on the screen. I'll read it out loud, and when we get to the red word, the highlighted word, read that out here with me. Joshua 24, verse 15. He says, choose today whom you will what? Serve. And he says, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now, what I want you to notice is he doesn't say choose today if you will serve. He says, choose today whom you will serve. Everybody serves something. Right? You might be serving money. You might be serving your own selfishness. <laughs> you know, you might be serving uh, uh, some dream or desire that you've put as the number one thing in your life. Everybody serves something. And so Joshua says to the Israelites, hey, listen, choose today who you're going to serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And that's been a prayer of mine in my own heart and life. Some of you, you don't have families yet. You're looking out to the day when you have a family. But that's a declaration you can make today. Someday when I have a family, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice that we're going to make in our heart and in our life. So here's the top three ways that we have tried to make God number one in our family as I think about it. And the first one is simply this. Own your faith. Own your faith. Um, I was thinking about the difference between renting something and owning something. I don't know if you uh, rent a car uh, when you're traveling for work or pleasure, but if you ever rent a car, uh, you know, I drive a rental car very different than my own car. You know, it's a rental. You now I hit a curb, I'm like, I don't care. Right? You know, French fry drops between the seat, I'm like, I just leave it doesn't matter. My kids be riding along in the rental car. They'll put their feet up on the dashboard. I'm like, that's cool. No problem. Like car runs a little funky. Doesn't matter. I'm dropping it off. Not my car. Just don't bill me. Right? Like 
When it's a rental, it just sort of doesn't matter because it's not really my problem. It's somebody else's problem. But when it's my car, it's a whole different situation. Now, I don't have a like slamming muscle car. Um, I drive currently a Honda Civic. I have to check my man card in to drive a Honda Civic, but I drive a Honda Civic, all right? But I don't care, I still have pride in my car. My kids get in my car and they put their feet up on my dash, drives me crazy. I'm like, whoa, 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 get that foot down off that dash. Do that mom's car, you don't do that in dad's car. They drop a french fry down between the seat. I'm like, get that french fry out. Don't just leave that french fry down in there. You pick that out, right? Like, I hit the curb, I'm like, oh man, I gotta pull over, make sure everything's, how's the Civic doing? We good? We're good. Because it's mine, right? And when you own something, it, you care about it at a whole different level. It matters to you at a whole different level. Um, I think the same is true with our faith. If you want to put God first in your family, if you want God to be number one in your family, I believe the most powerful thing that you can do is worry less about your other family members and worry more about you owning your own faith and your own relationship with God. truth is like there's only one person you can change with the help of God in your family and it's not your husband or your wife or even your kids you can lovingly influence them but who's the only person you can really affect change on in a family it's yourself right so there's a lot that Lori and I did wrong but one of the few things that I think we did right over the last 18 years is we tried to own our faith personally and manage it personally. And when you own it, it's a whole different thing. It's not a rental agreement, it's an ownership agreement. It's like, uh, it's like some of you, you know, you grew up in a, in a faith-oriented home and you grew up, you came to church, you were sort of in and out of it. And for a while, you drafted off the faith of your parents, right? It was a secondhand faith. And I get that. Some of you right now, maybe you're in a marriage with somebody that's deeply spiritual and, and they, you go to church, it keeps peace in the home, right? You're sort of, it's nice and all that, but you're just drafting off of their faith in your life. Maybe you're dating somebody and you're, you're really hoping they'll lean in more and so you're coming to church and you're kind of trying to learn and grow and I get it, but you're drafting off somebody else's faith. The real adventure of faith begins when you move from a secondhand faith to a firsthand faith. When you say, look, this has got to be real for me. I have to ask the questions. I have to pray the prayer. I have to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I have to decide, am I going to serve the Lord in my heart and in my life? And when you start to own it personally, oh, there's so many benefits. It's so exciting because now you're going on the faith journey. Listen, if you want a God-first life, you don't get there with a second-hand faith, right? You got to own your faith personally. So I think about our family, um, and we are by uh, a million miles not perfect. Um, in fact, uh, let's go to this picture. I'm going to show you a picture of our uh, my son's bedroom door. I took this uh, yesterday. We're going to skip ahead. We'll bring this up. This is just a, a photo of my son's door as of yesterday. Um, so the last time he locked himself in his room and wouldn't open the door, we took the door off the hinges for a while. Every real parent knows what I'm talking about here, right? I had my door off the hinges for a while when I was a teenager, but I was doing a lot worse than my kids were. Anyway, 
But my wife wised up this last time and decided, you know what, I don't have to take the whole door off the hinges, I'm just taking the handle off. And then we decided, let's just leave it off. So he eventually stuck a shirt in his door so we couldn't look at him as we're walking past, but he can't lock it anymore. That's what I'm talking about, people. That's just a picture for the truth about what goes on in our home and probably just about everybody's home because none of us are perfect. But here's what Jesus said. Let's bring this up. Matthew or Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 29, says this. Jesus replied, uh, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God, and you must what? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the main thing. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, when he would have said this, Jesus was being approached by a teacher who was asking this question. And uh, the person who was asking the question in that time, in that era, um, would have heard what Jesus said uh, very clearly. You must, you know, he says, the Lord, uh, the Lord uh, is, is, you know, one God. And as he's going through, he's talking about the, what's called the Shema out of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. It was recited every day by faithful Jewish people. He may have even been wearing it on jewelry, you know, on his, on his body at the time, like we would wear it on jewelry. They would they'd make religious stayings and they would wear them. So this was very clear, but what would have been interesting is Jesus then goes further. Look what else he says. He adds something to this um, amazing verse in chapter 12, beginning of verse 30. He says, the second is equally important. Love your who? Neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Right? What's the most important thing? He says, love God and love others. Love God and love others. That's the most important thing. So if you're a parent here today, or a grandparent, what do you really want for your kids and your grandkids? What's the number one thing that you want for your kids and your grandkids? I mean, we say a lot of things, right? We want them to be happy. We want them to be healthy. Maybe you want them to do well in school. <laughs> Maybe one of my parenting values was just stay off drugs. Uh, you know, a lot of things that we want for our kids. But let me suggest to you, based on what Jesus says, the number one thing that we should want for our kids is that they love God and love others. Bigger than anything else, health, bigger than happiness, bigger than joy in their life, bigger than, first, love God and love others. And if that's what you want for your kids, then you gotta model that in your own life and live it out. So in my life, I've uh, lost my cool with my kids more times than I want to recount. Uh, I've said things I regret. I've had to apologize to my kids. Who here has had to apologize to a kid? Come on, right? The rest of you needed to, you just didn't, you know? I get it, like, you know, but we, I, I've had to take my kids out, set them down and say, you know, dad raised his voice, said some things I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry, I apologize. I'm just telling you, I am a flawed, messed up, imperfect human being. And so what's the most important thing in all of that? And you know, sometimes you can, well, the most important thing in all of that journey has been less about what we said and more about what we actually believed over the last 20 years that our kids watched. It's been less about me being the perfect parent, right? And more about, you know, my kids, they've, they've both walked in on me at different times down on my knees in prayer. And I'm not always down on my knees in prayer. And I don't do that thinking they'll ever walk in, but it's going to happen. They're going to walk in and you're reading the Bible. They won't forget that, even if they don't comment about it. Like I shared with you a couple weeks ago, 
and many of you have expressed prayers and concern, and I appreciate it. Uh, my oldest brother, 17 years older than me, um, was in the hospital, was looking really bleak. And uh, you know what we did when we got home from church is I got my kids together like we've done many times before and we circled up and, and we prayed. Now we didn't pray, didn't pray for an hour. It didn't get like super weird. And you know, my kids are kind of like, we want to get onto the video games, you know, but, but I still like, hey, we're all gonna circle up. We're gonna pray for my brother. And I want you to know, many of you prayed for my brother and it, it looked pretty bad. Sunday afternoon, they told him, basically he's never gonna leave the hospital. He's either gonna get a liver transplant or he's gonna go home to his maker. And I want you to know on Wednesday of that week, he received a liver transplant. He's had it almost two weeks. So far, so good. He just went in for his blood work. It all came back really good. And he's staying at a hotel right by the hospital, which I think they do for a couple more months. It's a long process. Any of you who have family members or maybe you've been through a transplant, but you know, he's got another chance at life and we're very grateful for that. But, you know, when he was going into surgery and we knew that was happening, we circled up as a family. We prayed. My kids have just grown up around that. So while I've made tons of mistakes, done a lot of things wrong, I think just by Lori and I trying to go after our own faith and live it out authentically, that just sort of roll, it just spills over into their lives. And that's, those of you that are parents with your kids, there's a lot of things that you can learn. There's a lot of things you can do right, things you can do wrong. You're going to make mistakes. You're not going to be perfect. But the number one thing I'd tell you is you personally, don't worry so much about them, you go after God personally. You serve God personally. And then they'll, they'll be inspired by your faith as you're living it out when the time comes. So that's the number one thing that we did is we just owned our faith to put God first. The number two thing on my list as I was looking down through all these things was this. We prioritized church. We prioritized church in our family and when i think about it over the last you know 18 years of my kids life i think it's probably made the biggest difference i mean parents aren't perfect i found this little uh, this little statement that uh, i wanted to read to you it's a parent who was writing to um uh, his daughter's boyfriend after breaking off their engagement it says dear tom i've been unable to sleep since i broke off your engagement to my daughter will you forgive and forget I was much too sensitive about your mohawk, your tattoo, and your pierced nose. I now realize that motorcycles aren't really that dangerous, and I really should not have reacted the way that I did to the fact that you've never held a job. Sure, my daughter's only 18 and wants to marry you instead of going to college on a full scholarship, but after all, you can't learn everything from books, and I sometimes forget how backward I can be. I was wrong, I was a fool, I've now come to my senses, and you have my full blessing to marry my daughter. Sincerely, your future father-in-law. P.S. Congratulations on winning this week's lottery. <laughs> Had to do it. Check this out, Proverbs chapter 22. Let's bring this up on the screen, verse six. This will be a familiar verse for some of you. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not what? He won't turn from it. Train him up in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't turn from it. Now, that, that's a proverb, and I think it's important when you hear proverbs from the Bible. Proverbs is a book of the Bible in the Old Testament, these little pithy wisdom sayings, and a proverb is not a promise, okay? 
Promises are different in the Bible. When God makes a promise, a proverb is a principle. So proverb, like that proverb, doesn't mean it's true 100% of the time, never not true. If you train up a child in the way you should go, 100% of the time they will never not turn from it. That's not, that's, that's a lot more like a promise. A proverb is like a principle that says, more often than not, right? More often than not, if you train up a child in the way you should go, when he's old, he'll not. Now, there's a lot of examples in the Bible that would sort of challenge the idea of taking a verse like that and making it a promise. And uh, like, for instance, you know, Samuel, who was a very godly man, had very ungodly children, right? Asa, who was totally evil, had, um, despite himself, some godly kids. Uh, Hezekiah's dad was an absolute disaster in every way, and yet he grew up to be a godly man. So it's hard to make this cause and effect relate connection. Hey, you just be a good parent and your kids will be good kids, right? It's way more complicated than that. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. It's way more up to the grace of God and also their own human choices that they choose to make as they grow. Some of you as parents, you've been beating yourself up for years and years and years because your kids have gone off the path, they've made some destructive decisions, you're carrying that, you're owning it. Listen. There is a time where you can influence them and do the best that you can do, but at some point we all have to surrender our kids and give them over to God. They're responsible for their own choices, and that's not on you, the choices that they make. And you gotta let some of that go. So we wanna train up a child in the way he should go so that when he's old, he won't depart from it. It's not a promise, it's a principle. More often than not, if we do that, the result will be positive. And one of the ways that we've done that, we've seen that in our own life over the last 18 years of my kids' lives is just prioritizing church, just making it a point to be in church and get them in church, get them in youth group, make sure that they go to camp in the summer, make sure that they're just involved. It's so simple. And you're like, yeah, Judd, you're a pastor, but I'm telling you, it's not that. It's way bigger than that. It's just that we fought to keep them involved. And we didn't make our kids be at everything that happened at church. They didn't have to be here every time the doors open. But that's, you know, I'm really thankful. My kids so far seem not really bitter towards God or the church or, you know, I'm grateful and prayerful. But I think part of that dynamic is we didn't cram it down their throat. We lived it out, and we encouraged them to come along with us. Now, they had to go to church, right, whether they like it or not. And we had to, you might think, well, your kids probably just wanted to go to church. <laughs> My kids are kids, man. We all, we had times where they didn't want to go in the church. They didn't want to go to camp. They didn't want to get in the car. They don't want to go. But you got to make a choice, right? And I know church can be stressful. I know just getting to church sometimes can be hard, right? You get up, you get everybody ready, you get in the car. Sometimes it's the ride to church where there's the most drama all week long going on in the car. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's going after each other. Everybody's, you know, getting on. And then you pull in the church parking lot. You're like, hey, man, we're at church. Everybody, shut up. Pipe down. We'll resume this conversation after church is over, right? 
And you come in and it's stressful and you're tired and you already had a million things going on and you're not sure it's working in your kids' lives and you're not sure they're getting it. You're not sure it's sinking in. You're not seeing a change in their attitude. It's frustrating. It's hard. But listen, you come anyway and you show up anyway and we've done it for 18 years in their life. We make them come. They have to come as long as they're under my roof, whether they like it or not. They just got to be exposed to it. And when I think about it over all those years, I actually think... I think that's one of the most important things that we did. Even when we're on vacation, guys, lots of times if there's a church, I'm like, Sunday, we go to church. Let's go. And so it kills me when people today are like, oh, yeah, we get to church, you know, once a quarter, right? Once every three or four months, we show up and, you know, we bring our kids. That's just not enough. You're not exposing them to what they need from a biblical standpoint, from a relational standpoint. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things competing for our time. There's a lot of things pulling on our hearts, pulling us in a lot of directions. But I wanna just, look, as I look over my life, the most important commitment we made, owning our faith personally, the second most important commitment, we go to church as a family. This is what we do. That's what we do. And over the years, I think that has had a huge impact. Camp is a huge thing. Uh, we've got camps coming up this summer across our locations. If you, we'd love to have your kids at age-appropriate camp environments. And I can tell you, just those kids getting poured into for three or four days can be a life-changing experience for them. And with my kids, it really wasn't an option. It's like, no, you're going to camp. You want to eat? You're going to go to camp. No, I'm but you, you get your kids around other kids like that. You get them around those kinds of experiences and it impacts their heart and life. Listen, you can't live your best life with the wrong friends. And one of the most important gifts we can give our kids is getting them around the right friends. And for me and my family, that has been in church, in the faith community, where we're all kind of going the same direction. So prioritize church in your life third area that's been most important in my personal life that we've done in our family that I think has said more to our kids and really set the pace for us putting God first in our family is simply this, give back to God. Give back to God. My kids have watched us over the years give financially, give our time, sacrifice. They've watched uh, me make choices that were not career choices because I'm a pastor but were faith choices that cost us something. And I think when your kids see that your faith is real, they're less concerned about whether or not it's perfect, and they're more concerned that it's real to you and you're really trying to live it out. The biggest prayer I had for my kids was that, hey, they could walk away and say, we don't believe this, we don't buy it, but God forbid they walk away and say, my dad didn't believe it. No, 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 they're gonna say, my dad, he really didn't believe it. He was, he was really in. And when I think back through my life, like what have I done over the last 18 years that has helped set the pace in my family? A lot of it comes back personally for me when I started to tithe and give back to God financially. When we went through capital campaigns as a church and we chose to give significantly above and beyond and circle our family up and say, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna do something. This is gonna take faith. This is gonna be a risk. Uh, when my kids earned money and I was like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm, you earn this money, but you got to bring 10% of that back to God and you got to tithe off of that because that's what we do and really it's my money anyway, I'm giving it to you. Look, 
When I began to give back to God financially, I'm telling you, my faith got real at a different level. If you want God first in your family, put God first in your finances, put him first in your time, put him first in your relationships, put him first, right? You can't have a God first life with a secondhand faith, right? You want a God first life, it's gonna cost you something. You want a God first life, there are gonna be some sacrifices involved. But you know, I look back now and those, none of those sacrifices feel like sacrifices. And God blessed me far more than I ever could have asked for or imagined in so many unique ways. But it goes back to that simple idea. Here's what Jesus says. Let's, let's go to Jesus' words as he, uh, as he describes the power of our heart and our desires. Let's bring this uh, scripture up. Let's jump ahead here. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your what? Heart will also be. Now, we often think like, well, wherever my heart is, right? You know, there, there's where my treasures are. Jesus says, no, no, no. Where your money is, that tells you where your heart is. You say whatever you want. But where your money is, that tells you where your heart is. That's what he's saying. Now, look at how he breaks it down. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And I bring that up because I just saw an article in USA Today that particular area where I live was ranked as the most sinful city in America and the greatest sin of that city was greed. That's where we are. And so giving back to God is a way your faith gets real and it gets genuine. I started this message talking about my mom. And I was thinking about my mom as I come up on the 10th anniversary of her, her passing. And, you know, she was generous and she was faithful with her time, with her talent, with her resources. But one of the things I'll never forget is in the last days of her life, she was in ICU, she was really sick. And my dad had been living up at the hospital as much as practical, but when they moved her back into ICU and everything was going south, he couldn't like, they wouldn't let him stay in ICU. He had to go home, come back at certain visiting hours. So, you know, he finally got tired of, he's 85, you know, <laughs> camping out on the couch in the waiting room and he'd go home and he'd sleep. And then he'd go back up first thing and wait and then go in and see her. They've been married coming up on 63 years when my mom passed away. But I watched my dad on Sunday morning my mom's in the last days of her life. Well, Sunday morning, he got up, he was on oxygen, he had a little wheelchair, a little uh, automatic wheelchair, and a little mini, old minivan he'd rigged up, all this stuff. Took him about a half hour to get ready, just get in the chair, drive out to the little minivan, get up in the minivan, get all his gear in, get, make sure all his oxygen bottles were all, you know, not gonna blow up, scare me to death. Sunday morning, Sure enough, just like every other morning in his life, he gets up, he gets everything together, everything loaded in his car, and he goes to church. He goes to church first, and then he goes to see my mom. And when he gets to church, I kid you not, 85 years old, it marked me. My dad gets his checkbook out and writes a check at church. He's on Social Security. He didn't have hardly anything. I'm like, what are you doing? You've already tithed on that money. All the legalists go, hey man, you already gave on that money once. You're good. I 
wasn't about that for him. It was about him trusting God and being generous. And I watched my 85-year-old dad write that check off his social security allowance, drop it in the offering tray. I watched him sit there and worship and hear stuff that he had heard a thousand times before. Didn't matter. We prayed for my mom and then got in the car and drove up to the hospital and saw her. And I don't know, I was just thinking about that again this week. That generation has passed, right? And are passing. But it's on our shoulders now. We gotta be that generation. We gotta rise up. And some of us, myself included, we gotta grow up. And we gotta say, listen, I'm gonna prioritize God first in my life. I'm gonna prioritize God first in my family. I'm gonna prioritize church and the church community. I'm gonna prioritize being generous and giving back to God through my time and my resources. Look, you can't have a God first life with a secondhand faith. So God, I'm gonna own it in my life. And if you'll do that, if you do that, you're gonna, you can do a lot of things wrong. You do that, you can make a lot of mistakes, but the main things will be in play that can make a huge impact in your life. When I look back over our 18 years, we've done a lot of stuff wrong. I got more questions than answers. Those are three things I think we did right, and we're gonna keep doing them in our lives, and I think if you'll do them, it can make a difference in your life. Maybe you're here today, maybe you've never really crossed the line of faith, and if that's where you're at, I'd love to just invite you to consider placing your faith and your trust in God, maybe moving from a secondhand faith to a firsthand faith in your life. So if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus today, you can begin that journey by just repeating simple prayer after me. So would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes. You can just repeat after me. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I'm gonna ask you to just slip your hand in the air. And just acknowledge wherever you're at today that you're gonna follow him in your life. And you're gonna trust him. Slip your hand in the air. Reach out to him. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the way you move and work in our life. And we thank you mostly for the grace and mercy that you show us every day. And I pray for each one of these individuals just reaching out to you that you'll fill their life with purpose and meaning and joy. And for all of us, that we could be the people you created us to be. We thank you in Jesus' name.